Hello and welcome to the Anxiety to Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Booth, and I've been a clinical hypnotherapist since 2011. I specialise in helping people overcome anxiety and build confidence instead. This weekly podcast will cover a wide range of mental health issues related to anxiety, along with some helpful tips and suggestions that you can try at home. If you have any questions that you'd like answered in a future episode, then please head to www.anxietytoconfidence.com forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of my guest series for 2021. This week I'm joined by Jerry, who is an environmental scientist and also a university lecturer. This episode is a really, really interesting one. I absolutely loved chatting to Jerry because he's very open and honest about his own mental health issues and how they led him to abuse things like alcohol and other substances as well. Jerry very kindly talks us through various different things that he tried in order to overcome these challenges and shares loads of things that worked for him that you can have a go at at home. Just as a little warning, we do at times talk about things like alcohol and drug taking and we also talk briefly about suicide as well, so just to give you a little heads up on those. But the episode itself is very positive and there's loads of great ideas in this episode that people can have a go at and loads of great encouragement as well if this is something that you're struggling with yourself. We also later go on to talk about an app, but I wanted to mention it just early on in the podcast so that you can have a look for it if you want to. This app is called Medito and is available as far as I can find in the UK. I've downloaded it myself onto my iPhone um, and it's an absolutely fantastic app. It's completely free and it has loads of different meditations and mindfulness exercises for all kinds of different things, whether you want to get better sleep or whether you want to overcome some negative feelings um, and it's completely free. So I just wanted to, at the start of this podcast, just do another quick shout out for that app because I've been using it myself since we recorded this episode and it is absolutely fantastic. So I really hope you find this episode interesting and enjoy. Firstly, thanking you for your time to come on this podcast and talk about your own experiences. Would you be so kind as to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, My name is Jerry Vandenberg. I'm a scientist. I'm an environmental scientist. I live in uh, Kelowna, BC, Canada. And so I spend my time doing scientific work related to water management, helping uh, mines and other large industrial developments keep their water clean. And I work part-time at the University of British Columbia, where I teach environmental science. And I'm also a paid on-call firefighter. And so my tie-in there to mental health is that I spend a lot of time looking into ways to uh, build resilience in firefighters to avoid PTSD and other sort of adverse mental effects from trauma. Um, I guess maybe I'll continue a little bit about why I'm interested in, in being here today. So um, I've also got generalized anxiety disorder. I've had that as long as I can remember, although I was only diagnosed with that when I was about 30, so around 15 years ago. And so I really dealt poorly with it most of my life. I took on a lot of alcoholism and addictions, sort of self-medicating from the time I was in my early teens to uh, fairly recently. Um, it, I, I remember sort of spending my time in university uh, having a lot of 
completely sleepless nights, kind of laying in bed, staring at the ceiling, thinking, why, you know, can I stop thinking about this exam? Or why can't I stop thinking about this other problem in my life? And really not understanding that there was a solution to this. And so I guess part of the reason I'm here today is if anybody else is like that, sort of dealing with anxiety and struggling with controlling their thoughts or having just endless loops of really negative thoughts, just to kind of share some solutions that I've found along the way. So I've spent 15 years or so sort of researching this as I've kind of made it my hobby to look into any sort of mental health thing that I see out there and to try it out. And I also look into the primary literature because I am sort of an academic. So that's kind of the world I live in. So I like to look, go back and look at studies and see what people have found both useful for themselves, but also what the academics are saying in terms of large studies of people who have tried these things. And, you know, is mindfulness more effective than a pill or is it more effective than cognitive behavioral therapy and sort of what, what do the large studies say? So I've kind of made it a hobby over the last 15 years to kind of try all these different things and experiment with them and build daily routines to help myself. So maybe I'll talk about some of those and I don't expect that what I do would exactly work for anybody else, but that general concept of just trying lots of things and um, seeing what helps and building it, building it into your daily routine and building it into your lifestyle. That sounds um, amazing. And for people who listen to my podcast regularly, um, I've talked quite a bit about how my own anxiety affected the first degree that I did. And I actually ended up failing my degree because I couldn't cope with the mental health issues that I was having at the time. So for me now, it's almost quite a similar path, really. Obviously, mine led me into therapy, but I'm currently doing a master's degree in psychology and starting to discover this academic world as well. So looking into a lot of these different types of therapy and really starting to think about how I work with clients and whether or not that's evidence-based or whether or not that might work for some people, but not others, how that might relate to personality. So I'm really excited. Maybe we'll start with talking a little bit about your experiences of mental health, and then we'll end with some of the things that you found useful, um, just to give people some ideas of things that they can have a go at. Sure. Well, so as I mentioned, I, I sort of started my struggles with mental health and addiction in the teens. So my only coping strategy between the age of about 14 and early 30s was alcohol and drugs. It was, it was a terrible solution obviously um but uh what happened was i had a series of panic attacks and i think i had three really serious panic attacks and the, the last one i had i remember quite clearly it was over something fairly minor but it was stressing me out beyond belief and i was sitting at my desk at work i had gotten some bad news and it really hit me to the point where I went into this complete shutdown. Um, I completely blanked out and I'd actually thought I had died. I remember this fairly clearly when I sort of came to, I was basically paralyzed. I just sat there thinking, I can't move. I can't think I can't function. I'm completely shut down. Fortunately, I worked at a company that had an employee assistance program. And after a couple of minutes, it kind of, I was sort of coming, regaining consciousness and I had the I guess the mind to call the number on this little card that I had in my wallet I was very grateful this kind of kicked off my path to recovery and 
I called the number and the person on the other end of the line kind of walked me through a grounding exercise. And I still remember it really clearly to this day because I often think that this really saved my life actually. Um, it was a very simple thing where the person on the, other on the other end of the line had me put my feet firmly on the floor and kind of rub my ankles and just get some physical sensations and come back to consciousness and come back and connect with my body. And asked, she asked me what I was hearing, what I was feeling, what all kind of walked through all my senses and got me back into the present moment. And then she said, you should call your, your doctor and get a referral to a psychologist to try out cognitive behavioral therapy. And again, I got really lucky. I found a really good therapist as the first person I went to see. And she put me in touch with a workbook. Uh, she'd actually given me a photocopy from three different workbooks. And I don't even know what the original source of this material was, but I still have those photocopies today. And I still photocopy them over and over and over again. It was a workbook that would help me identify my thoughts and my feelings and rate the intensity and then kind of break it down into thought distortions and try and identify, you know, am I catastrophizing? Am I mind reading? Am I fortune telling? Um, am I having polarized thinking? You know, there was, so there was one worksheet that kind of walked me through in a systematic way to identify these thoughts. Another worksheet that would help me identify the feelings. It was basically just a big long list of sort of categorized feelings of what, what are you actually processing or how are you processing it what it how is this making you feel and react and then the third one was a was a long list of cognitive distortions and I would go through and really think through you know is this what I'm actually thinking right now is this what is making me think this way and then it also has another column where you go back and you identify these thoughts that you've broken down and you pretend that you're your best friend or your spouse or your you know, a close person that you trust and they're having those thoughts and what do you say to them? How do you rationally explain to them that this is probably actually not as bad as you think it is? And so then what you do is you go back and you re-rank the thoughts. And what I love about this is that most of the time these thoughts will go from, you know, an intensity of like eight or nine or 10. If they're not that high, I don't need this worksheet to begin with, but the whole point of this is that you're doing this when you're having these intense thoughts. So you have these, these really um, recurring and sort of ruminating and endless loops of thoughts that are really high intensity. You go through this worksheet and after you're finished, you'll re-rank them and typically you'll have talked yourself off the ledge and given yourself some insight into why you're having these thoughts. And now they'll be ranked at about a two or three. But the part that I love the most about this is that sometimes there is one or two lingering thoughts or worries in there that is still really high after going through all of that. And so now what you've done is you've identified your productive uh, worries from your unproductive worries. And these are things that you can actually take action on and you can confront these things because it's, you know, if I go through this process and I'm having a worry that is still high after that, I know this is, this is something serious I need to deal with. So it means you can either confront your fears, you can take some action to deal with it, you can go talk to the person who's going through your mind, you can do whatever it is you need to do. But at this point, it's either deal with it or it's going to take you down because it's not a thought distortion, it's a real problem.
that's an amazing um, exercise. That's one of my favorite exercises and one that I still use today. Um, because I would say to people that it's kind of an ongoing thing when it comes to mental health. And even though my mental health now is vastly better than it was years ago, these exercises are still exercises that I use on a regular basis, just to make sure that everything's still in the right place. Um, I'll just say quickly as well, there's a simpler version of that exercise available on my website that can be downloaded and it comes with a video talking you through how to use the exercise as well. It's not as detailed as the one you're talking about, but it's a simple introduction into cognitive distortions and how to identify which ones it is that you're actually doing. So if you just head to my website, you'll be able to download that for free. So that exercise sounds like it really gave you a lot of control back. Yeah, and I guess for anybody who's listening, I would, if you haven't tried it, definitely go download that and try it out because what it does is number one, it gives you a tool for when the thoughts are super intense and even 15 years later, if I'm laying in bed and I'm having these intense thoughts again, I'll go down and do this worksheet. Now that's maybe once every two or three months for me these days. It's not very often. So, you know, like four or five, six times a year. Uh, but what it really has done to me or for me is over the process of doing this many, many times, now I can see these thoughts as soon as they come into my head and I can say, ah, I'm catastrophizing. Let's shut that down right now. And it's just a complete habit for me to identify these thoughts and to think about it. I kind of just run through that worksheet. It takes me about 10 seconds and I go, oh, okay, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm mind reading or I'm fortune telling. I, I, I can't really understand or read the mind of that person that I think is upset with me. This is ridiculous that I would think that. So let's, let's just shut that down. So that's the huge benefit to me is that it becomes it's part of your normal thought process is just to shut these things down. So you mentioned briefly um, not dealing with it in maybe the most ideal way and using things like alcohol to help alleviate some of the symptoms. That's quite a common thing that I come across and something that I experienced myself when I was at university. So I was wondering if you'd be happy to talk to us a little bit about why you thought it would help at the time and what you've realized since. Well, I think like most people who start out, um, you know, like most people, I mean, I'll just kind of start at the ending. So I, I'd been to a couple of recovery centers. I ended up being a complete alcohol and addict. And so I got to know a lot of other addicts in those recovery centers. And I think we all sort of had roughly the same story. Uh, when we start out, we don't think of it as self-medicating. We don't realize it's self-medicating. We just take our, our drinks or our drugs or whatever, and it feels really great. But it's not so much to me that it feels great. It's that whatever is, is hurting you on the inside is gone for, for a little while. And so it's more of an absence of pain. And, and none of us would think of it as, oh, I feel, you know, I, I've kind of numbed my pain. Although in retrospect, that's exactly what it was. But as, as a young kid, you're just thinking, this feels great. This is awesome. I feel greater than I ever have. Um, I can't wait to do this again tomorrow. Although you wake up the next morning sick and you know you spend most of your day sick until the nighttime when you self-medicate again and the cycle continues. But in that stage of sort of uh, conditioning your brain to kind of give yourself that dopamine hit or whatever it is, or erase your pain or whatever you're just conditioning yourself to kind of get through the day so that you'll feel good as soon as you get your your medic your medicine that night 
I mean, that's that's my story, and it, it was pretty consistent with a lot of people that I talked to in the in these recovery centers. Yeah, it sounds very similar to what I experienced. To be honest, for me, it was just a bit of a relief. It meant that I didn't mm -hmm. have to worry for a few hours, um, and particularly when you're at university, that usually turns into going out, and then you get the euphoria of being out with people, dancing. You're much more confident, and it's just becomes this thing that. Yeah, as you said, almost you get through the day because you know you've got that to look forward to later on. And it just becomes a, a normal thing. And of course, like university, particularly over here in the UK, it is changing now. But certainly when I was at university, there's a huge drinking culture, um, which just makes it normal. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, so for me, it was about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I was in university. I, I went to five different universities. I kind of jumped around quite a bit for the first few times, uh, first few semesters. But the first one I went to, the uh, the dorms or the residents were actually in the same building as the as the classroom. So you could actually take a class, go down two floors to the, to the dorms, have some drinks and party and maybe go back to class and then go back down to the dorms. I mean, it was way too easy. It was way too accessible. And as, you know, most 20-ish year old people, uh, if you have a choice between sitting around feeling anxious about your test or sitting around feeling anxious about something or going out and getting hosed and partying and feeling great, and you don't really worry too much about the consequences, it's a very easy choice of what you're going to do. Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit of a no-brainer, really, until you get to a certain age when you can't quite keep up with it anymore. Yeah, I mean, um, Russell Brand has a book called Recovery. It's a super great book. So Russell Brand is talking about addiction and he says that at first our our addiction was fun and then it was fun with problems and then it was just problems. And so that kind of, for me, describes the, you know, 10 year phases of my life from about 15 to 25, my drinking was just fun. From about 25 to 35, it was fun with problems. And from 35 to 45, it was it was just problems. And so around the age, you know, mid twenties, I started, you know, I got married, had a career, had kids, started thinking I should maybe slow down on the drinking and realizing that I couldn't. And for about 10 years, you know, it was really a whole series of, can I cut this down? Can I only drink on weekends? Can I only drink six beer? Can I try this thing? Can I try that thing? It was, it was really a very, very frustrating decade of just trying to cut down and not being able to and finally realizing, holy cow, this is this is a serious problem for me that I'm not going to solve on my own. Yeah, I think for me, one of the key things that stood out was when I was starting to arrange things around where I knew there would be drink available. So social events and things, if it got in the way of being able to have a drink, then I probably wouldn't go. So if I had to drive there and back, for example, I just wouldn't bother going. And I think that's when I started realizing this is more than just having fun every night. This is starting to be quite detrimental to my, I guess, my way of living. Yeah, I mean, for me, the real serious wake up call for me that I knew this was a really bad problem was I went to my doctor and I asked if there was any sort of medication I could take to help quit drinking. Um, he gave me something called, uh, the, I think the trade name is Antabuse and the chemical name is disulfiram. And he said, take this. If you drink while you're taking this, you'll be rolling around on the floor in pain and it will make you not drink. 
And so I thought, okay, well, this sounds horrible. Maybe I'll give it a try and maybe it'll work. Um, but being a good alcoholic that I was, um, I would experiment and see how much I could drink. Turned out to be about one, one, one glass of beer, one glass of wine, whatever. And my face would puff up and my eyes would bug out and my head would pound and it felt really awful. And I would get kind of sick. I would usually end up vomiting. Um, but, you know, this is when I knew I had a really, really bad problem is I kept drinking anyway. And um, I would try and just dose it just right so I could get a little bit of a buzz off it, but still I would just put up with all the pain. And then I remember sitting in the basement of my house one night thinking, screw it, I just need to drink. And so I thought if I drink really fast, I'll get the buzz before all this hits. So I drank a couple, two or three beers as fast as I could. And I just sat there thinking, please let this feel good for like five minutes before the pain comes. <laughs> and then the pain came and I was literally rolling around on the floor screaming in pain and my eyes were bugging out. And I mean, it was the most awful experience. And that's when I decided uh, I've just got to check myself into a recovery center because this is just stupid. <laughs> Looking back, I mean, it was, I, I, I can't believe how stupid somebody is over wanting their substance. It's, it's sad, but I was there. So, I mean. Yeah, I mean, it is sad, but at the same time, it's, it's very real at the time. You decided to go into a recovery program. How was the process of then stopping for you? Um, well, it took me a couple tries. Um, I'd be, I, so I, I went to one that was a complete, uh, 12 step AA sort of program and it was good. It helped me sort of see my behaviors. So AA is a lot about stopping certain behaviors and there is definitely a psychological aspect to AA. It's a lot about sort of identifying, um, fear, shame, anger, and some of these emotions that drive bad behaviors that helped me a lot. And it, there's also a big process of sort of cleaning up your past and getting rid of some of the things that are still keeping you down and changing a lot of the behaviors that you do that are associated with alcoholism. So that was a, that was a really good kind of first uh, restart to my life. Unfortunately though, I did relapse after about five months, but I mean, it was really good. And I, I did feel like I was pretty much done with drinking forever when I came out of there. And I don't really remember what it was, but over time I sort of just went back to my old ways. And um, uh, so I went back drinking for about six months, realized I had to go back into a center, went to another one. And it was not a 12 step. It was kind of like the anti 12 step you know, most of the, most of the recovery centers around here anyway are 12 step, but this one was kind of like the alternative to that. Um, and for me, it was mainly a, just an opportunity for me to be isolated away from all substances for a month and kind of do my own research and kind of come up with my own program. That's kind of what I went in there for, come up with a daily routine that I could stick to because now I'd, you know, I've been through the 12 steps I've done by this time, about a decade of research into different anxiety reduction techniques, mindfulness, meditation. Um, and I came up with a daily routine that would sort of keep me on the right path, kind of start my day right, and had enough time to convince myself that I never wanted to come back to one of these places again. And uh, came out and 
for the most part, so that was about two years ago, for the most part, I haven't really drank since then. I, I, I recently, I, I, I did drink once or twice after that, but it's been a little over a year now since I've had any alcohol, which is super happy for me. Um, I did still uh, keep some medications, some sleeping pills and things that I thought, oh, it's fine, it's kind of med medications, these, these aren't bad. Um, and so it was actually about midway through last year. So after being locked down for a couple of months during the pandemic that I realized I had to just completely quit all of this stuff finally. And the thing that made me think that was being kind of locked down in my house with my kids. And I really still despise myself for sneaking around, even smoking pot or whatever, even though it's totally legal here in Canada now and it's becoming socially acceptable. I just didn't want to have to kind of sneak around for my kids and not be able to look them in the eye because I've been out smoking pot. And um, I also didn't like being reliant on sleeping pills or anything like that. I was also on an, an antidepressant that I really didn't think was actually helping me. The only reason I was on it was because I'd tried to quit it twice before and I had some severe effects going off it. So I felt kind of trapped on these pills. Um, and so it was around August 1st of 2020 that I just decided that's it. I'm quitting all this stuff. I'd also been on nicotine replacement since, since I was 14. So I was a smoker for most of my life, but I would, I would always be on either the patch or some inhaler or some kind of nicotine replacement lozenges. And each of these had their own adverse effects. The patches gave me huge welts. The nicotine, uh, tablets gave me big sore gums, like all of these things were just some other problem. Anyway, so around August 1st last year, I decided I don't care. I'm finally just going to go off all of this stuff at once. And I braced myself for a couple of weeks of horribleness, and it was horrible. Uh, so I quit an antidepressant, sleeping pills, nicotine replacement, and pot all in one day. And I just kind of set aside two weeks to be miserable. And it, it actually took about two months. And every day I would go out and kind of just run in the woods by myself uh, and my dogs, which was really nice. They kept me company, but I had another technique and this is a little weird, but I'll tell you what it was. I'd seen a, a podcast by uh, Sam Harris and he was talking about sort of a, a similar theme to using gratitude, but it was actually a, a theme from the Stoics where what you do is you imagine yourself in a horrible situation and then you come back into your reality and you think about how much better you are compared to if you were in that horrible situation. And what I did is I'd actually pretended that I had killed myself because I did feel like killing myself during that time. And then, then I thought to myself, what would the world look like if I actually went ahead and killed myself? what would my family be doing right now? They'd be devastated. My kids would now have no father. My wife would have no husband. My mother would have no more son. And I thought, you know, if I had gone ahead and killed myself, this is what the world would be like. And then now I would, and I, and I wouldn't just kind of think about it in those terms. I would actually try and visualize it and try and put myself in that reality and visualize people sort of being devastated because I had just wrecked their lives. 
And then I would bring myself into the reality and go, okay, so now I'm actually have a chance at life again, and I'm going to start over. And what, what do I do with my life now that I have this sort of second shot at life? What would I do differently for the next 40 years that I screwed up on in the past 40 years? And so I did that every day for like two months. And it really helped me reframe my entire life and think about you know, some things that had been holding me back, like obviously alcoholism and, and relying on sleeping pills to kind of make my problems go away and all of these things. And so that was about six months ago. I haven't had any of those things since. It took me about two months of really, really, you know, painful days and nights, not sleeping, restless legs, shaking all night. Like it was pretty horrible, but I just kept telling myself, like you have another shot at life, tough, tough it through for a little while you you'll have a brand new life and I do now I mean it's it's really incredible I wake up every morning thinking I can't believe I don't have a hangover I don't have grogginess from smoking pot I don't have you know I don't have to sort of wobble my way to the bathroom because the sleeping pill is still making me tired I mean it's just it's unbelievable how much better life is and so it's a couple months of absolute hell but it was well worth it the purposes of the podcast i'm gonna say um if you do decide to come off antidepressants go see your doctor first <laughs> yes so i definitely am not making that as a recommendation that's what i did it was out of desperation i had i had tried um weaning myself off it just didn't work i'm i'm just not a weaner to be honest um i tried weaning myself off alcohol other things nicotine many many times and I'm just kind of an all or nothing person when it comes to consuming things. So, I mean, that's, that's what I had to do. It was out of desperation. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I don't know what else to say, but it worked. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely fine. I mean, um, obviously we can't really give advice to people to do things like that, but I do understand um, a lot actually the idea of once you've made a decision about something to just do it and stick with it as almost being an easier process than trying to carefully take things down um, but some people really can't cope with that so just for the purposes of the podcast make sure you check with your GP before doing anything like that but I think it's a amazing strength to to make that decision really yeah I mean my, my, I had gone to my GP, he'd, he'd prescribed a different antidepressant that would have been easier to come off of. Um, and so there's, there are things that your GP can do to help you that can kind of lessen that impact. Um, in, in terms of the other substances though, I mean, um, smoking, pot, drinking and all that, at a certain point, you do need to pretty much go cold turkey I think I don't know anybody who's ever weaned themselves off any of those things especially not drinking it's just too available there's always alcohol somewhere um, you just have to make that determination that no matter what you're done um, maybe some people can or maybe some people can go from being an alcoholic to to drinking in moderation or something but I've never met anybody who could do it successfully. Yeah, definitely. It's a challenging thing, especially um, alcohol, because once you've had a couple of drinks, that's when your resolve is at its worst. So yeah, exactly. It's already compromised. So certainly I can see how stopping completely. And I mean, that's what I did as well. Um, I decided to take on a year challenge that came with um, some CBT work as well. 
um, and essentially it was a year of not drinking and going through these exercises and these processes um, which for me was a really good way of doing it and certainly after a year of not touching anything at all it was quite clear that I had a very different outlook on it and now for me personally alcohol often isn't worth it because there are things that I want to do the next day or there's other stuff going on it's just not that focal point anymore and have you you've completed your year yes it was a while ago now and did you ever go back to drinking or did you try going back in moderation yeah so I would say now that moderation is something that I feel capable of and it's just a case for me of really thinking about the consequences of it and whether or not before I even start drinking I'm happy with those consequences so if we're going out with friends and I don't have work the next day I don't have to be off the next day I tend to be a lot more relaxed about it but because because I stopped and because I'm now much more able to do so many different things like I've usually got a run the next day that I want to do or I've got like a, a competition on my horse that I want to do and so it's just easier in a lot of situations not to bother at all and that's just mm -hmm. where my priorities now are. Well what you said just reminded me of another sort of tool that I use to help quit some of that stuff and that was uh, it's called smart recovery and it's sort of an alternative to the 12-step programs it's more of a rational based program and again it's another workbook type program but in this one part of it is doing a, a cost-benefit analysis of your habit and this is for any habit that you have and this actually really helped me quit smoking in in the workbook you you look at the pros and cons of your habit and you look at what you have to gain and what you have to lose by doing it or not doing it. And so when you look at, so for example, smoking, you'll have all sorts of negative consequences. You'll stink, you'll waste money, you might get cancer, you can't run as fast because you don't have cardio, you'll lose your voice. You know, just you can run down a huge long list of adverse consequences from smoking. There are some benefits. There, they're extraordinarily short-term. You'll feel good for maybe 15 seconds. It might take your mind off something. It might give you a chance to go out and socialize with everyone at the smoke pit or whatever, but the whatever positive there is, and there has to be some positive or you never would have done it in the first place, but whatever that is, whatever you're getting from it is going to be you know, on the order of about seconds to a minute. And all of the adverse consequences are going to last anywhere they're going to start you know when you when your bank when your bank statement comes in or you know when your credit card bill comes in or when you go for your next run they're all they're all in the future at some point and it might be an hour from now when you kind of look back on regret or it might be 15 years from now when you get cancer but all of the adverse consequences are in the future and just laying that out and looking at it at what a huge long list of nasty consequences there are help me kind of just always go five more minutes before I would have a, a cigarette or you know you can wait five minutes and in that five minutes all of those positive effects you would have got will be in the past and all of those negative consequences now you've delayed or maybe avoided and if you can go five minutes you can always go five minutes to, to have something like that. You can always wait five minutes. And then the, the magical thing about it is in five minutes, the thought is gone. Maybe an hour later it comes back or maybe half an hour later it comes back. 
and you go, okay, five minutes, five minutes. I look at my list and I can go, I can wait five minutes to maybe avoid cancer. And then every time you do that, it actually gets longer, a little bit longer before the thought comes back. And eventually, you know, it's, you're having that thought every couple of days. And, you know, it, it really is just a matter of waiting five minutes. It's, it, it's, it, you don't have to quit for the rest of your life. You just have to quit for five minutes. And then in an hour, when the thought comes back, quit again for five minutes, you can do it. Yeah, that's amazing. And it was a similar thing that very much helped me was even though I committed myself to a year, I never really, I think I never really acknowledged that I was gonna do it to begin with. And it was always just get through today, get through tonight, and then get through the next day. And I'll just get through tonight and see how I feel tomorrow. And it was really after a few months of doing that, that I kind of stopped thinking about it on a daily basis. So the plan originally was never the whole year, but eventually it just became a lot easier and easier because like you said, as you kept delaying it, the thought would then go away for longer and longer each time. So yeah, mm -hmm. that's a really good idea for anyone that's struggling at home. See if you can uh, just delay whatever habit it is because this can apply to any habit. See if you can delay it for five minutes and then see how you feel. I'll talk about a couple of other techniques that I tried early that um, were also super helpful that kind of brought me down from being high strung. Now, these are things that won't necessarily solve your problem, but will actually give you some calmness and help and the ability to actually to actually think through your problem. So like progressive relaxation was one uh, that being super high strung, you're sort of, you're tense, you're basically in fight or flight and you're kind of going through life like that on edge in a state of arousal I think this was also in a workbook that was given to me by a psychologist. I can't remember if it's the same one I mentioned, but there's, there's a, a workbook called Thoughts and Feelings, and it's by Fanning and others. And it's just full of really, really good sort of self-help exercises. And in there is one about progressive relaxation, and it's got a very, very structured way of relaxing or tensing and relaxing your muscles, one muscle group at a time and you've tense for seven seconds and you release for four seconds and you go through cycles of this. And by the time you're done, your whole body is completely relaxed like jelly. And it doesn't just relax your muscles, that it relaxes your brain in the process, whether you like it or not. And so again, it's not gonna help you identify thoughts or cognitive distortions or anything like that. So it's, it's not so much, uh, a cure for anxiety but what it is is it allows you to actually think clearly and to kind of process thoughts and it gets you in the right frame of mind to actually help yourself properly because you can't really do too much self-help when you're in that state of you know borderline panic and just like tense and completely focused on some imaginary problem yeah, progressive muscle relaxation is a really, really helpful tool. Um, because I work as a hypnotherapist, I use progressive muscle relaxation a lot as part of my hypnotic induction. And it is very much about really teaching people how to relax themselves. Because for people who are tense all the time or highly strung or whatever you would call it, that feeling of being relaxed is actually quite alien. And it almost teaches people that it is possible to relax. So yeah, that's that's a great technique to use. And you can do it for yourself at home as well. Yeah, and that's, that's, I like the way you put that. It definitely was alien to me when at first. I mean, I just had no idea that a person could even feel relaxed that, that way. I didn't, I didn't realize that that feeling existed. Yeah, some of my clients are very surprised by it. 
maybe another technique I'll talk about is journaling. So I've, I also, I see a hypnotherapist, uh, but he's also a good general therapist as well. And one of the things he got me into is journaling. So I have uh, sort of a, a dark journal and a happy journal. And I start by kind of going through basically some cathartic, you know, expunging my thoughts into this dark journal and just kind of writing anything that's on my mind that's bothering me and just kind of getting it out of, out of my brain. And then I go into the happy journal, which is, um, you know, kind of positive reinforcement, self-talk and gratitude and sort of all the great things that I can think of about what's happening in my life and why I should be super happy. I, I do that a couple of times a week uh, before bed. It's a good way to kind of clear out the crap and bring in some, some freshness. That's amazing. I've never come across that two journals idea before, um, but I really like the idea of separating out. This is all the rubbish stuff that I want to get out and then having something separate that this is where I want to think about some of the positives instead. That's a really cool idea. I like that. I'm, I'm tempted to try that myself, actually. Yeah, I, I would give it a go. It's, it's really transformative, really, because you're, you're completely shifting your, your thought patterns when you do that. And it's very, very conscious the way if you're going to write it out. And some other advice he gave me was when you're writing the, the dark journal, just um, don't worry about anything about neatness. Just write whatever comes to your mind. Just let it all out. Um, and when you're writing in your nice journal, you kind of take your time. You write things neatly. You make it look nice. You make your thoughts kind of a little more eloquent. And there's even more structure to it. Um, so I write three things that I'm grateful for that are external to me. So I'm grateful to have my dogs. I'm grateful to have time with my kids or whatever it is. And then three things that are intrinsic. So I'm grateful to be, um, uh, to, to have been able to break free from alcohol or I'm grateful to be, um, you know, have enough perseverance to actually stick through this journaling exercise or whatever it is, but something internal. So it's quite structured. All the things I do are, are pretty structured and, and yeah. that's, that's what worked for me. I, I'm not sure that that's the best for everybody, but I like a very strict routine where everything's kind of laid out, just do this. And then when I do, I'll feel better. Yeah. And it is interesting that for some people that works really, really well, and for others that can be quite challenging. Um, and I've noticed in my own practice that the kind of CBT approach definitely works best with people who like structure because it has that kind of formula, formulative way of going through all the different things that you're thinking, feeling, different actions you take, different intensities can be really good for those kind of people. And then there's actually a couple of techniques that I've been doing that I actually recently combined and it's actually because of your podcast. So let me let me tell you a quick story about this. Um, so there's a, a grounding exercise that I came across a long time ago to deal with panic attacks. And it's, it's almost identical to something on your podcast. So I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, it's, it's basically name five things you can see and four things you can hear. I can't remember the exact order, but you basically run through your senses and you go five, four, three, two, one. And I, I started doing it when I was feeling really panicky. And then on the fire department, it was very interesting because we 
sometimes respond to people who are having panic attacks. And there's actually no training in any of our uh, protocol or training or anything like that about how to deal with panic attacks because everything we train is about um, real physical trauma or medical, you know, like a cardiac arrest or a stroke or something like that. But there's absolutely nothing in our training about panic attacks. So it was really kind of uh, weird. And I guess it was kind of cool, but it was sort of unique unique for me that first time I came across a panic attack person, I recognized it immediately. I'm like, I, I just, it was basically like, like looking in the mirror. And I just did, ran through this grounding exercise with this person and it completely calmed him down and everything was better. Um, and so ever since then, I've really kind of paid attention to that technique. I've used it a few times to just calm people down on, you know, traumatic calls where I can tell there's absolutely nothing wrong with this person, but they're completely freaked out and they're going to hyperventilate and pretty soon they're going to pass out. And it works, it works like a charm. Um, and, and so the other technique that I do is, um, so the, the fancy word for it is forest bathing. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard that term, but it comes from a Japanese uh, word, but it's basically just walking out in the forest and being mindful of kind of where you are. And so I, li I listened to your podcast about um, being mindful and doing mindful walking the other day. So, so I've always had those two techniques, but after listening to your podcast, I combined them. And so now every morning I, I build that into my routine. So I am walking through the forest and I'll look around and say, what are five things I can see? What are four things I can uh, hear? Three things I can smell or taste. Um, uh, two things that I can, um, I can't, sorry, I can't remember the order, but basically just walk through my senses. I do it in a different order every day too. Um, yeah. But the last thing is what's one thing I'm grateful for. Um, and so that's just kind of my morning routine and it really helps me kind of enjoy my walk a little bit better. So thanks for that. No, that's absolutely fine. I'm, I'm really pleased to hear that it's uh, worked for you. Um, it's my it's my favourite thing to do as well when I'm walking the dog every morning. And it's just a really nice way to get started with everything. Yeah, I mean, I remember starting that morning walk and I would often be listening to a podcast or something and I'd get home and not really feel like I benefited all that much. So a while back, I just decided I'm just going to walk in silence and enjoy it. But now this is just one extra thing to help me just kind of appreciate that moment a little bit better. And, and to then it, it, it's, it's kind of weird how it, it, it awakens you a little bit more to looking around and actually appreciating things. And um, it, it really adds a lot of value to that morning walk. One of the things I noticed when I was doing it is I don't usually notice what I can smell if I'm outside. And as soon as I started focusing on that, I felt like you could smell like the leaves and you could smell the difference in the air when it's rained and things like that. So it's all this like crazy stuff that I'd never even thought about before. Suddenly, like you're walking around like I can smell so many different things. Well, I have a I have a terrible sense of smell. So for me, it's almost every morning. It's the same thing. It's I, I try and name two things. One will be I smell nothing. And that's awesome. I, I'm very happy if I can smell nothing. It means I'm out somewhere clean. And then I'll either sip or taste my tea. I have a, I have a chai tea on my walk every morning. Oh, nice. Very nice. So there's lots of smell there. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So you mentioned that you had got into some of the academic side of mental health and types of therapies and things was there anything that you wanted to share with people about what you'd found 
in fact, I'd actually just, I, I gave a, a couple hour talk about this last night at my fire department. So the, the reason I went into the academic side was because I was looking into PTSD um, in terms of how to prevent it and building resilience. And it's not something I really had much uh, expertise in or any real training or much really knowledge at all. Uh, except when I started looking into it, I started realizing that in terms of resilience, so now I want to differentiate. If you have PS, PTSD and you need treatment, then the treatments that you need are very, you need to see a professional and um, it's not, this doesn't apply to that. But in terms of resilience and helping yourself avoid it in the first place, everything you would do for resilience are things that you would do normally for good mental health. And everything that you might do for good mental health also builds resilience. There's almost no difference in between what the, and, and I'm, I'm referring to the academic literature. If you look at the big uh, literature reviews on the large studies over the past 30 or 40 years that have ex evaluated what is effective for building resilience, there's nothing in there whatsoever that you also wouldn't find in a good general mental wellness toolkit and vice versa. So I was really, that was a big surprise to me. I thought there's, there's gotta be something more complicated here to build resilience, but there isn't. And um, in, in looking into the literature, it, it kind of brought me back to a book that I'd read years ago uh, called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's all about um, traumas of different kinds. So it, it, it looks at 30 or 40 years worth of research into uh, childhood traumas, Vietnam War vets, and first responders. And again, the similarities there are amazing. It's like we have this one system that stresses us out. It's our sympathetic nervous system, and it can be triggered in lots of different ways. But at the end of the day, it's the same bloody nervous system, and it doesn't matter what it is that's triggering it. We have a set of tools, and they're all going to have some positive effect on helping us kind of rein that in and controlling it. And whether that's mindfulness or cognitive behavioral therapy, this general toolkit applies to all these different mental health issues and just kind of keeping ourselves in good shape, whether we're trying to prevent PTSD or just not have a panic attack or just get through the day in a happy state. It doesn't really matter what your end goal is. This tool is very, or this set of tools is very applicable to all of these different things. So that was that was my big learning. So, and I kind of picture it as um, all of these different tools get you from point A to point B. And so point A is we have some negative thought or some stressor, some trauma, some adverse thing that's keeping us in this fight or flight response system and it's keeping us amped up. And we wanna to get to this place of being okay with our thoughts and it doesn't really matter which of these tools you use. You can use cognitive behavioral therapy to kind of evaluate why you're having them and to step back and just say, okay, I understand now why I'm having these thoughts. I'm okay with my thoughts. Or you can use non-attachment or diffusing or some other kind of meditation that lets you just kind of watch these thoughts go by. Another really good visualization technique. This is also from that um, the book, Thoughts and, and Feelings, um, is to kind of, uh, pretend you're looking up at a blue sky with clouds going by and um, you visualize the clouds and every time you have a thought you attach it to the cloud and you let that thought drift by with the cloud it attaches to the cloud and sort of drifts out of view and the next time you have a thought 
it, you attach it to that cloud and you let it drift by. And if, it doesn't matter if that same thought keeps coming back, you just let it keep drifting by and you watch it. And so the whole theory here is that you're, you're non-attaching, you're, you're dissociating your feelings from your thoughts without, without evaluating them, without trying to say that's a, that's, you know, a, a catastrophizing, you don't care. You just say, that's a thought. You label it as a thought. I'm having a thought of this thing. And there goes my thought. Okay, now I'm having a thought of something else. But it, it's, the, it's the same thing. You're going from some um, lousy thought in your head to just being okay with that thought. And then another one is, is, is Stoicism. So I really like their philosophy. The Stoics were, um, you know, their whole philosophy was be grateful for the world that you have and for your position and for your situation. And don't just accept it, but embrace it and just say, I'm, I'm going to make the best of this. I am going to be happy no matter what. And I'm going to um, just, yeah, make the best of it and, and be grateful for it. And there's so many things in our lives we can't change and people try and expend energy trying to change their situations when a lot of it you can just accept because it, it's, it's all a mindset of what you do with it. And again, same with journaling, you're going to just throw those thoughts on paper and go from some state of being in anxiety and being unhappy with your thoughts to just being okay with them. You're still having those thoughts. It's just that now they, you're, you're taking away their power from you. You're taking away their power over you. And I think really helpful to people as well to understand that that's possible, in fact, because it can, if you've been struggling with thoughts for many, many years, which a lot of people have, it can be quite difficult to kind of detach yourself from them. But it's such a useful skill when you learn how to do it, because then you don't have to become the thought. You can choose what you become after the thought. The, the one thing I didn't talk much about is mindfulness and meditation. So um, I'm going to I'm going to actually recommend a really good app. Uh, it's called Medito. And so it's free. I've looked at lots of different apps. And again, I did this most recently as something to help people on the fire department and kind of recommending something for introducing mindfulness and meditation to them. And so I looked at all the different apps. There are some very good ones like Headspace and Buddhify, and there's some other good ones. But what I don't like about those ones is that there's basically a little bit of free content and they're really intended to get you to purchase the whole thing, which is fine. I, I mean, I've, there's nothing against somebody. I'm, I'm glad they built the business and that they have that. But as a user, um, the Medito app appeals to me a lot because it was developed as a nonprofit venture right from the start so that people could have a free, very good app uh, for meditation and mindfulness. And it's got a really nice interface um, starting with beginner meditations and then lots of different categories. So for anxiety, gratitude, there's a category for dealing with the pandemic. There's um, all sorts of different um, categories in there. And then within each category, there's anywhere from 10 to 20 different meditations. Most of them are five or 10 minutes long. And you can choose different voices, different background musics. Like it's a, just a really, really nice app. Yeah, that sounds and great. So I not heard of that one yeah yeah so, it's, it's really good i think it's fairly new what's it called again uh medito m-e-d-i-t-o perfect i'll check that's available in the uk yeah so as i was testing it out just for kind of looking at one to recommend to the fire department i would be doing these things and it would just 
continually just put me to sleep. And for me, that's that's a huge thing. If, if, if something puts me to sleep, it means it's relaxed me and that's that's a big win. So I'd wake up in the morning with my phone on my chest and I'd be like, holy crap, I only got like two minutes into that. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds amazing and a really useful resource. Um, it's really good to know where people can get things like that for free. Because as you said, we can um, recommend all these apps, but people then have to pay for them. So yeah, definitely. I'll see if I can find it actually and put a link to it so that people can um, can find that. But yeah, thank you so much for your time this evening. Um, we've gone through so much information that I really hope people, really I'm hoping people just try something and see if it works for them. So by getting lots of different perspectives on this. I'm just hoping that something will click with somebody and they'll be inspired to have a go. Yeah, that's my hope. I mean, there's lots of things I've mentioned. Not everything will work for everybody. I've also tried lots of other things that I didn't, that didn't click with me. So I didn't mention them today, but there's, I mean, so many things out there, never, never stop looking into things and always just kind of try new things and build a routine and find what works and stick with it. Discard what doesn't work. Yeah, absolutely. This idea of just trying things out, I think, is uh, quite a good one for mental health because everyone is so different that it's so important to find what works for you personally. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the chance to come and sort of tell my story and hopefully somebody gets some benefit from it. Yeah, I hope so too. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast for notifications on future episodes. And if you have the time to write a quick review, then that would be greatly appreciated. To find out more about me and the work that I do, please head to www.anxietytoconfidence.com. That's the number two, anxietytoconfidence.com.